You're saying that the Maquis crew is rigid and inflexible, that they will never adjust to Starfleet rules. No, Mr. Falcon. I'm saying that you are rigid and inflexible. But maybe if you learn to bend a little, you might have better luck with your class. Welcome to another episode of Delta Flyer. I'm Thad Haight. I'm Stuart Hollis. And this week we are joined by our fourth and final guest of this season. Oh, I, I thought you were going to say my name. Hi, this is Jim Morehouse, and I am happy to be here. I am at okay. Enterprise at, Extra at Twitter and at Trek Ranks on Twitter, so this is fun to uh, be able to talk some Voyager. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a shame we don't have an Enterprise podcast, but... Uh, Someday. Yeah. Do Shuttlepod 1. There is, in fact, a long road to get from there to here, but it may happen someday. We've been through this. I have no faith of the heart. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Jim, we do we have sort of come into a habit of asking our guests how they got into Voyager or and or Star Trek as a whole. So, I love it. So, well, Voyager because I'm a Star Trek completist and fan from way back. So, I got into Star Trek in the '70s, watching the uh, the syndicated. Uh, airings in the 70s that basically saved Star Trek and got kept it alive uh, for all this time. So I've been a fan literally my whole life, and my favorite series is probably Deep Space Nine, but I, I love Voyager. I think it's so underrated. I always tell people it has the best sci-fi conceits. The stories are just really big and grandiose and some, some really crazy, cool ideas in the terms of sci-fi. I love it. I would absolutely agree with that. Uh, exactly on that. Deep Space Nine is also my favorite, but yes, I have always thought that Voyager is underrated. Yeah, just some huge, big ideas. They're so fun, whether it's Omega Particle or Species A472. I mean, it's just, there's so many big ideas. I, lo I love it. You mentioning the Omega Particle, I just uh, rewatched Galaxy Quest, which is, you know, easily like top five. Uh, Star Trek movie of all time, um, but the you know the Omega Thirteen activate the Omega Thirteen. Yes, uh, from it. Yeah, <laughs> so genius. That movie is incredible. It's perfect. I, I have a special affinity for Crewman Number Six. <laughs> so for the one thing that I always really like with Galaxy Quest is actually nothing directly related to the movie. It's and it unfortunately they were, they didn't add this feature on the Blu-ray, but on the DVD release there was a menu option that simply said yes. Omega Thirteen, and when you clicked it, it rewound the menu animations and start and and brought it back up. Oh, that's great! I thought you were going to talk about the uh, uh, was it that what are they called the Thylons or the it has a audio track uh, audio commentary from the oh it does have that alien. too. Yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> the Thalons? The, the, good the good aliens? Yeah, yes. What are they called? Oh, the ther Therions or something. Something Thermians. like that. Is that it? Thermians, thank you. Thermians. Yeah, Thermians. Yeah, yeah. Thermians. We are Thermians from the Klaatu Nebula, and we need your help. <laughs> oh, God. It just... Uh, uh, genius. <laughs> it's genius. Uh. Okay, well... Not to get too too <laughs> off the rails so early, because <laughs> for example, Thad, you haven't even told us what episode are we watch. Did we watch this week? So, 
have we even gone off the rails since we have not yet gotten on the rails? We, no, okay, so so we... I don't entirely know how trains work, but at a certain <laughs> point, like, the train, like, gets put upon the rails for the very first time, and then they turn on the... and then they, you know, they, they start they start the engine, and then, like, we immediately just, like, fell, which like, didn't, like, didn't derail, it just, like, like, toppled over sideways, like a cartoon or something, like a cartoon train taking a nap. I think they started the engine, but forgot to put the train on the rails. <laughs> but anyway, this week, we are talking about the final episode of season one, Learning Curve. Woohoo! Yes. And our synopsis from TV Guide, as is our tradition, the ship's systems mysteriously begin to malfunction. Tuvok takes on the task of training Maki crew members in Starfleet discipline. Uh, Let's get the cheese to sick bay. Sorry, yes. I couldn't. I just, I couldn't hold off. Yeah, <laughs> I it is the best that, part that of the episode. That is possibly like the shortest and like just most just terse and to the point synopsis that I've seen on TV Guide yet. It's pretty. That is pretty succinct. That synopsis. Yeah. Memory Alpha is very similar to TV Guide this week. It's Tuvok conducts a training session for Maquis personnel. Meanwhile, Voyager's bioneural gel packs are mysteriously failing. Get the cheese to sick bay. I, just, I can't stop. I can't stop. That's fair. <laughs> I really did like the doctors, uh, like when they first bring the bioneural gel pack into sick bay and the doctor acting like it's a proper patient. And they don't want to discuss it. <laughs> yes. Right. Great. I, I, it's a great point because I actually love the doctor in this episode, even at the end, where we're probably skipping ahead here, but. Okay. At the end, when everyone's like dying on the bridge because the uh, life support's down, life support because life support yeah, is yeah. down, and he's just chipper. He's just like you know we're giving reports, and they're all just like, "Yes, turn it back on." I love the he's look. Like, of okay, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, she does give him a great look. He's like, "Ars, I am." Impl- Dis- distributing the the antidote now, and everybody's fine, and they're all dying. I love it. <laughs> so I have a nitpick on that actually, because it feels to me like there should be more than enough air just on the ship that if the life support goes down, it should take a few hours before they get that bad. No, they're not suffocating. They're they're burning up. They gave the ship. They had to give the they had to give the ship a fever. Oh right, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, no. They're not. I mean, uh, like just before that, they had been discussing that because of the gel pack failures, they couldn't get the isolinear circuits online to take over life support. But no, you're right. I mean, there definitely would be right. Yeah, yeah. Good call. There's more than enough air uh, for them to last fifteen, twenty minutes. It's but it. it you know, probably yeah. probably last like a solid day. I was confused because uh, the outward ex- uh, symptoms of hypoxia and heat exhaustion are similar. <laughs> yeah, if we were, if we were to ever get my cousin on, uh, he could actually probably tell us uh, on that uh, on that point exactly how long they would last, or at least give a much better, much more educated guess than either than either of us could. He would need to know that on a submarine. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Yeah, no. My my cousin is a Star Trek fan and a Navy officer who serves on submarines, which is like the closest like as close as you can get. 
Right, yeah. I mean, like, like next to him, be, like, unless it was something like, oh, yeah, he was all those things and also was in the ISS for, like, six months or something. It's, like, the closest thing we get to someone who's been to space is someone who has lived on submarines. Yeah. Uh, the similarities, especially, like, once we... I mean, to my understanding, similarly between a submarine and the International Space Station are really, really similar. Uh, similar is just similar. <laughs> um, are striking, rather. Because every, like, every square inch is at an absolute premium. So the, everything is a storage compartment. And if it's not a storage compartment, and, and inside that storage compartment, it's usually food. Like, you know, IS, like the space station's even more so because... Every wall, every ceiling and floor, all of it, it's all storage compartments or Velcro tags. I'm so bad. When you said ISS, ISS I thought there was a, a Mirror Universe sub that he could have served on. Ah. Mm. <laughs> well, Who knows? Yeah, Maybe no, there no, is. No, no, no. I, I've, n- I've never seen him with a goatee. Oh, so. there you go. Yeah. I think we're safe. <laughs> Good catch, though. Yeah. So, Thad, you want to talk about nitpicks. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, well, first off, I think we should uh, say, you know, what stood out to us the most on this episode. We, I, I think Jim has already mentioned what has stood out the most to him a couple times now. <laughs> well, if I'm really answering that question, it's I love a good Tuvok episode. I'm a huge Tuvok guy, so... I uh, I just love seeing Tuvok in action. In action, I would absolutely agree with that. Uh, I mean, for me, with regard to Tuvok, and what what also stood out to me the most throughout this episode uh, was how ineffectual Tuvok was. And <laughs> hey, he learned, man. And but he probably, point- as soon as this episode was was over, he probably went and wrote uh, Insurrection Alpha. The uh, Yes. I'm kidding. Uh, no, it would Kaseska was already gone. But yeah, it was. He had already. He, he went. He went to try and refine it, or he gave up on it. I don't know. But I know what you're saying. He obviously was not approaching these guys with uh, any kind of tact or tone that well, might it, actually it, be it, successful. But neither. Forget either of that. Like, think about the very first interaction that Tuvok has is with Crewman Dalby, who has taken it upon himself to repair a bioneural feedback, bioneural gel pack that he saw was malfunctioning. Wait, well, first of all, how did he see it? It looked like they're all behind panels, so I'm not sure how he saw it was malfunctioning, but whatever. You know, so Dalby has taken it upon himself to to start the repairs on this. Obviously, Tuvok's not pleased because this is contrary to Starfleet protocol and. But he does a terrible job of explaining why the protocol is there. It, it I mean, like, he tells him that like he's interrupting ship systems, but he's not really making that point very well. Because Dobby's like, "Well, where I come from, if we see a problem, we fix it." And like Tuvok could have countered with, "We fix problems here too, but we also like to tell people about it, so your the like, problem you're fixing doesn't become problems for other people." But that's basically what he said. He said, on the ship, we have a protocol for such procedures. Which is clearly to report it. And yeah, didn't he? Well, no, no, he said all of that, but he didn't say, and the policy is there because it's just, we have policies follow policies. Yeah, I would find it hard faulting him on that. I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, I feel like just... I would have been very much like Tuvok in that same situation. It's like, hey man, report, you have a commanding officer. You know how this works. You report to her. Tell her about it. If she signs you to do the job, maybe there's somebody better to do the job. So I don't know. I that that would be I'd be uh, hard pressed to critique him on that one. I mean, he's not very friendly when he says it, so certainly you can critique. 
Tupac's not very friendly when he says anything to anybody. I know. <laughs> but as someone who, as we find out, spent 16 years as a instructor at the academy, he sure does a poor job of instructing this crewman as to why the policies and procedures are there beyond just saying, there are procedures, follow procedures. Yes, that is uh, that is dramatic narrative. That's how it works. But yeah, 16 years was like, really? I mean, when she said that, I was like, 16 years? That's a long time. That is. He doesn't even look at he doesn't even look a day over 87. It's especially long when you consider that he has had two he had two uh, separate Starfleet careers. True. Uh, the official yeah. thing. We don't know this yet, but we will in the future. I wonder which part that uh, fit into. It must have been when he came back, because they wouldn't have had the raw ensign that felt like he wasn't cut out for Starfleet teaching at the Academy. Oh, no, I was thinking of how, wasn't it in Star Trek 6, where he's, or was it Generations? No, but he wasn't, that wasn't Tim Russ <laughs> is in Generations. No, I, I know, but no, I, I I could have sworn that at the Star Trek meetup that I was just at a couple of weeks ago, that there was like this whole conversation about how, no, it's been like officially sanctioned that that was Tuvok. That someone mentioned the round ears thing too as a counterpoint, and I can't like more to undercover work. I wasn't. (laughs) I don't know. I wasn't like super. I I was having my own conversation, but Thad knows this that I just I I hear all the conversations um, as they're happening. He was under bits and pieces deep. cover on the Enterprise-D to find out why everything wasn't being installed until Tuesday. I was going to say, Perryman turned to Kirk later and said, everything's coming on Tuesday, Tuvok's working for me, who's working for you? (laughs) 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 But no, uh, Tuvok did serve on the Excelsior during the events of Star Trek VI, although we don't know this in Star Trek VI, that's just in the the Voyager episode flashback. Okay, okay. Correct. Dimitri can verify that. (laughs) Well, I like the Tuvok aspect of it. I'm uh, I, no, I just, I'm, I'm I just like you. I just like seeing Tuvok in action. You know, whether it's you know stiff Tuvok or just learning a lesson, or I mean, he's he's always got always got some uh, some good quip. You know, I'm with you on that. I I I enjoy every th- time that Tuvok is on screen. Most usually, <laughs> when he says to her, "Crewman Henley, your headband is certainly festive." Thank you. However. It is in violation of regulations. <laughs> Love that line. And he goes down the line and critiques everybody's wardrobe. Fantastic. He didn't he didn't touch on Dolby's uh uniform. Was Dolby's perfect? Was Tuvok just like tired at this point of <laughs> I guess he was clean, yeah. Dolby was yeah. okay. Dolby's turtleneck was a little loose. It was a little uh schleppy. Yeah. Yeah. That that that's two demerits. <laughs> One thing I noticed here, and because we've been watching these episodes out of order uh, due to recording issues, uh, I think this is the first episode where we have seen Tuvok as a lieutenant after he gets retconned from lieutenant commander to lieutenant midway through season one. Do they, do they call out why no, he got... No, you never hear about it. It's just he has... He just he like suddenly goes to two pips? Yeah. Okay. And he's just called Lieutenant Tuvok from then on until later in the show when he gets promoted to Lieutenant Commander. I I rarely pick up on that stuff. You know the 
the the tenets of Trek ranks is we don't nitpick. So uh, that's one of those Ooh. ones. I'm, I'm oblivious. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Stuart. No, 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 I'm saying like the tenets of tenets of our podcast are we do nitpick. <laughs> <laughs> I figured that already. So I will be the uh, I will be the voice of talking you through every nitpick. I'll come up with a, a reason for it. Although I All won't right. be able to defend how bad the gothic hollow novel is. Oh, those, God, every yes. single one of those is. I had completely forgotten that until I saw it. I'm like, oh man, not this. <laughs> what? What's a? What's a viscount? It's a rank of nobility. Thank you. What's a viscount? <laughs> I don't know how they all mesh together. I. Th- it's relatively but, but, low, but, but, I think. You you watch all the BBC stuff. You've seen Downton Abbey, like yeah. And then they say there's ranks. It's like, oh well, he's a noble of some kind. I've never like figured. I've <sighs> never. <sighs> I was relying on you. Okay, so according to Wikipedia, a viscount is higher than a baron and lower than a count or an earl. Okay, like that's that does answer my question better than it's a rank of nobility. <laughs> But I feel like I'm still super duper lost. Just like when anyone says like, "Oh, it's a platoon of soldiers." Like, well, how big's a platoon? And someone's like, "Oh, well, a platoon is bigger than this, but smaller than that." I'm like, ah. Okay. So the lowest rank of hereditary nobility, according to Wikipedia, is baronet. And then oh, that makes sense. Little baron. Yes. And then baron. And then viscount. And then count if you're in france and earl if you're in england they don't have counts in england hmm. and then after that we have marquis or marquis if you're french and then then duke and then grand duke i don't know how that works so they have viscounts in england but no counts yes yeah. viscount goes straight to earl interesting okay that's about as interesting as this uh mrs davenport gothic hollow novel i think it's yeah. more interesting honestly <laughs> Oh, you know, I I had meant to look up both the Viscount and the Latin. Oh, um, memory alpha looked up the Latin. I was just so pressed for time that I I, I wrapped up my second my, my note taking watch and then Thad sent me a message like, Hey, are you ready? Yeah. Just now. <laughs> so I didn't look up the Latin either, but Memory Alpha did it for me. And it Thank is you. let us not rush into anything. Hey okay. Dolby. Dolby, see? It all connects. Dolby, <laughs> don't rush into stuff, man. Hey, follow protocols that's, that's nice yeah that that would be like so much better if he hadn't been speaking in latin or if janeway had been like don't rush into things what are you saying to me hollow boy honestly i was kind of surprised that they don't learn latin in star at starfleet academy because it feels like they usually know literally everything about earth history including beowulf right <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I imagine there are people that know Latin, but it's sort of it's probably it's probably similar to how it is here in the 21st century. Whereas there are certainly scholars who know Latin, but the average person doesn't. The average learned person doesn't learn Latin anymore. She should have like turned like half away, like tapped her com badge, and like in in sotto voce been like, "Doctor, what does in ulam remne properimus mean?" But she wouldn't know what Soto Voce is because she doesn't know Latin. So my question about this hollow novel is, in this novel, does Janeway actually spend hours teaching these children their lessons? Because that sounds like the most 
boring form of recreation ever. Sure, it sure does. <laughs> Do you think that she enjoys this hollow novel because she's taken from this because of this like weird scenario where she's the governess but the children outrank her? That it's like one of the few times where she can sort of like figuratively let her hair down and not have to be the captain. That's kind of my assumption. Yeah, yeah I would imagine, but I feel like there are so much better stories she could go with. Well, of course, but maybe it's yeah, yeah. I I just figured Jerry Taylor loves uh, Victorian England stories because she's the one that clearly inserted these into the yeah. Uh, in three, the three or four times it shows up and then doesn't yeah. go anywhere. So, and that's not a critique on Jerry Taylor. She's awesome. She's the best. But I think Without she was Jerry going Taylor, for something. Voyager would not be anything like it is. So yeah, I agree. Absolutely, agree. She was she was going for something that just didn't end up connecting or work. So the, yeah, and then, it. eventually we come to the point where they basically have like the hollow town with the various interconnected stories, and they all partake yeah, in it from time to time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Love Fairhaven. Yeah. <laughs> Much better than the Gothic Victorian. The only <laughs> other thing I'll say about that was I had no idea uh until I was rewatching this because I saw his name in the credits and I that the little kid was is this I don't know if you guys know this actor, Thomas Decker, but he was in uh Sarah Connor Chronicles as John Connor. And that was Whoa. a pretty good show. So let me talk to you about my personal Terminator, like, <laughs> like, like my rule about the entire Terminator franchise. Your head cannon? Yeah, I was gonna no, say if it's it, no, no, okay, it's I want to hear this. The simple rule is John Connor is always the worst part of any given Terminator. <laughs> I like that. Terminator Two, he's whiny and terrible, and obviously, it's Arnie as a good Terminator. That is the whole point of the movie and why Terminator 2 is like an almost perfect sci-fi movie. Come with me if you want to or live. Sci-fi action movie, I should say. Terminator 3, well, he's whiny again and completely ineffectual. Terminator 4, which is Terminator Salvation, the pitch that I had heard in like the year or so leading up to the movie was that John Connor was going to be Christian Bale, but just a voice on the radio the entire time. It would maybe see him in like the last minute or two of the movie, like the last couple of minutes of the movie. Then we would actually see John Connor and like meet him. But the whole movie was going to be about resistance fighters and not John Connor. I'm like, that's, that's, that is a great way to approach this movie. And then instead, no, it's John Connor shooting Terminators in the head with a, <laughs> Hubrumpf. And then friggin' the Terminator Genesis, most recent one, John Connor is a Terminator. John Connor is the worst part of any Terminator thing. I can't believe I actually saw all those movies, because there's... <laughs> I mean, after Terminator 2, they're so bad. Sorry. No offense to anyone that likes Terminator. No, 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 no. They're... No, if they do, they're wrong, because after Terminator 2, you're right. They go, like, they like they don't just yeah. go downhill. It's like they go right off a cliff. It's like there's just no point to any of them. Although, I, Sarah Connor Chronicles, I, I, I like that I show. really was, enjoy Sarah Connor Chronicles, yeah, but John good. Connor was the worst part you're of right. the two. You're like, not wrong. Sarah you're Connor, not wrong. The title character and uh, Summer Glau. She was uh, great. As Cameron. Well, Summer Glau is always great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're you're not wrong. Anyway, that little kid was Thomas Decker. He was in Heroes and in uh, 
He was also in Heroes. Who was he in Heroes? He was the season two like boyfriend. And again, okay. there's nothing worse than season two of Heroes. Literally, <laughs> season one of Heroes is like the best thing ever. But my head canon is there was only one season of Heroes. <laughs> yes. Wait, they, wait, wait, wait. It didn't get canceled. No, it's two, three. Oh yeah, you're joking. <laughs> it did still get canceled, but it did. yeah. <laughs> But it's a running gag for Thad and I when we like, hit a, a point in like a franchise that either like they had like a bad spot or it went downhill from there. That was like, oh, what a shame they never made any movies after Terminator Two. <laughs> it's a shame they only ever made three Star Trek: The Next Generation movies. <laughs> yeah, it is a shame. A good bit. Okay, I want to talk about about the the crewman cadets. I'm just gonna call them cadets because that's how they're treated. Garen is the Bajoran. Yep. I thought the earrings were religious. Yep, I had a sticking point on that, too. Uh, they are. Um, but they are against the Starfleet Uniform Code. In um, On TNG, when Ro first joins the crew, Riker makes her take off her earring. Uh, and then they say they're going to bend the rules and let her do it. Yeah. So, yeah, to me, this it bothers me that it's against the Uniform Code at all. It feels... Like, the same sort of thing as if asking a Sikh to take off his turban. Or, counterpoint, within Star Trek canon, which we've discussed my opinion about Star Trek canon, Nog's headpiece. You mean, yes, every Ferengi's headpiece. Except Quark. Well, no, but Nog is the first Ferengi in Starfleet, and he has a uniform headpiece. Right. Did you not see the episode where they gave him special dispensation to wear that? Are you? They, are you, you're, you are making that up. The, oh, oh, now he. Oh, now he's got jokes. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's. I, I'm trying to back up Thad's case by using a like an in-universe uh, reference point or Worf's Baldrick. But there's no backing up a case if it's a case-by-case basis. So, Tuvok is trying to teach these guys a lesson. I'm not bending the rules for you, buddy. Take it off. Picard says, yeah, if you're going to join us, you can wear the earring. And off camera, Cisco said, yeah, I know it's cold on the station. You can wear a head wrap. No, no problem. So you know the this, real is me, reason. this is me explaining everything when people nitpick. It's what I do. You know the real reason for the Ferengi headscarves, right? Yes, because they didn't complete the makeup yep. on those particular headdresses. On the makeup, and the the only re- that's why Quark is the only one who doesn't wear one because he had the custom appliance because he was main cast and he insisted when cast on DS Nine that they had to make a special headpiece for him so that his ears weren't folded. Right, that makes sense. Which is why he has a much bigger head than any of the other Frankie. Huh. I had never picked up on that. No. Like like any of that, like including the part where he doesn't have a head wrap. Yeah, no, he's a, he's basically. There's a few that show up, but very, very rare that somebody doesn't have yeah. the head wrap. I believe it is technically referred to as a head scarf. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Doesn't look like a scarf. Or as Tuvok said, your headdress is certainly festive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was just waiting for the part of the show when we get to talk about Chell, because he's the ba- he's the greatest thing ever. Chell is well, pretty he- awesome. Well, he pronounced Gauss wrong. He did. Which might be why Tuvok set him to work degaussing the transporter room. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll explain my own nitpicks, thank you very much. 
please do. Please do. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> So I have two things I want to say about the cheese, but no, you, you go ahead that I've been talking for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. You could have gone on to the cheese, but no, Chell is great. I, I love him. I do wonder about the n- necklace that he is wearing. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, I mean, that's pretty legit too, Mark. Dude, get that necklace off. That yeah. is going to get away. It's going to hurt he, somebody. At the very least, he could have worn it under the turtleneck. You can barely see it. <laughs> Yeah, but I just love I just love the when he's on the because I mean he well first he when he two box explaining why he's there because he's obviously a chatterbox and never takes responsibility but in the bridge simulation when he says I certainly did everything I could possibly do my invasive yeah. procedures cannot be faulted <laughs> <laughs> I love Joe uh, no I I yes I, especially that opening scene oh and how about that scene when you're first meeting the crewman. And they're talking, and you think there's just three of them, and then all of a sudden there's Chell. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's all yeah. <laughs> well done. Yeah. That was. Uh, this episode was directed by David Livingston, who has directed many Star Trek episodes, including some of the very best. More than any other director in the history of Star Trek. That I did not know. Yeah, he's directed wow. the most hours or episodes of Trek than any other director. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. Well, then, I mean, it, it definitely would be no surprise that he would also have directed uh, so many of the greats. Not because he, like, not just because, well, if he's directed so many, therefore, by percentage, but if he's directed so many, then he has clearly has an aptitude of working with the writers and <clears throat> the, the cast and yeah. is probably able to kind of steer like what Star Trek is like, in a broad scope sort of way. Yep. No, he's a talented guy. And he had, and he worked his way up too. He was like originally just like the line producer. Yeah. In fact, Stuart, he, uh, he directed, uh, cause we have to mention it at this point cause we've brought it up in every episode so far. He directed futures end. Oh, fantastic. Nice. Top 10 at tech Trek ranks. Well, it is very good. By the way, learning curve is number 101 at Trek Ranks, just so. It's respectable. Anybody's, anybody's scoring at home. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's number seven for season one out of 16, so it's pretty good. I actually like this episode. I mean, and we haven't talked about it yet, but it's obviously kind of a enjoyable lower deck knockoff. Yes, I would say, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not at that level, but it's it's pretty good. So we don't need to go over your entire ranking for for season one. I mean, our, our listeners can certainly go to Trek Ranks and check that out. But I, I am curious, is your number one Eye of the Needle? My number one for season one, hold on, I'm trying to remember. It's not Eye of the Needle. That's like number three, I think. Oh, interesting. Oh, it's uh, Jatrell and then oh, State okay. of Flux. Yeah, that, that makes I sense. love Jatrell and I love State of Flux because I'm a huge Seska fan. Yeah, oh, those are also good. Yeah. yeah. We will have just spoken about Dutrell last week, and yet in the future. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. That's a, yeah. be- that's a beautiful thing in the Star Trek podcast. Well, especially Voyager. If we were to ever do an Enterprise uh, podcast, because uh, if there's going to be any Star Trek that's more time travel heavy than Voyager is, it's got to be Enterprise, then I, then I think that we should just 
just like put up a dartboard and just throw at random <laughs> and also and and release on that schedule too so you know this week we're talking about season one episode seven next week funk season three episode 14 that would be pretty good well if we do do enterprise we will certainly have to have jim back on when we do awakening yes when you get to the vulcan trilogy i will be there nice Speaking of Vulcan. Yes. They have heightened senses, right? Yes. I think they discussed that on Enterprise, right? Mm-hmm. Certainly heightened smell. Okay. Ha uh, ha. Excellent. So when they're running through the mess, why didn't Tuvok smell the cheese? He may have. He was on a mission at the time. Yeah. He asked Neelix about that cheese because Neelix had put it right in front of him, for one thing. Right. I mean, yeah. It... And I suppose that he is used to weird odors from Neelix and Neelix's kitchen. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Okay. You do recall when he first met Neelix, he suggested Neelix take a bath. <laughs> it, it would be funny if, like, Tuvok just sort of, like, on the sly all the time, just, like, had, like, one nostril closed or something whenever he spoke with Neelix. <laughs> <laughs> I actually like that scene between the two of them when, they're, when Neelix kind of sets him on the right path. Yeah, I mean, I, that was really I, yeah, good. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love those two together. They always. Yeah. Neelix and Tuvok is probably my favorite relationship on Voyager. Although Janeway and Balana is really high up there, too. Yeah, I would uh, be hard pressed not to pick Neelix and Tuvok. I love I was, was going to say the Doctor and Kess, especially in the first season. Mm. Okay. Cause she, cause, because of how much she pushes him towards recognizing. Uh, his humanity, um, well, his personhood, we'll say, and position on the crew without, like, without, like, egging him on or anything, just, like, little things, such as, like, did you notice how rudely that guy just spoke to you? Yeah, she defends him in that way. That's good. Yeah. Well, you would, you would rank that higher than, uh, the Doctor in Seven? I think I'd put Doctor in Seven higher. Well, I mean, we're, well, I mean, they had a longer running relationship because Kess is gone within in season two, isn't she? Or the end no, of season, season three? three. It's four oh, seasons three. to three. Yeah. Okay. Okay. They're both great. Yes. Doctor yes. Kess, we don't have any like creepiness going on with that, so there is that. Yeah. If if you want to define it as creepy, which <laughs> to each his own. <laughs> not, no, I don't think it's like it's certainly not as creepy as some things could be. It's not like flying at women at warp speed Paris creepy but right something else we mentioned in every episode (laughs) (laughs) he settles down there's a few moments Uh, I'm especially thinking of uh, I believe it's in end yeah it's it's in endgame actually I think when Seven says she wants to get the inhibitor removed that's preventing Mm -hmm. her from having strong emotions and she says she's interested in uh and the doctor says that he, he'd be happy to help her with uh, experiencing strong emotions. And when she says, she says, oh, I thank you for that. And he just goes like, really? That, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. I actually did just rewatch Endgame uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think. And I picked up on that, that exchange. But to my recollection... It was more pure eagerness of just, oh boy, instructing someone 
and yeah, I mean, the, the do- like the doctor being all about like, well, see how see how much of a human I've managed to become in the past seven years. I can teach the hell out of you. You know, I guess I had looked at it that way, and if there's anyone who likes talking about themselves more than the Doctor on Star Trek, I'm not sure I've met them. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, no, I hadn't even thought of that. Fair enough. Okay. So, you know, in a couple years when we get to Endgame, we'll... uh... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see how we both feel about it. So, anyway, back to Learning Curve. Yeah. I think Tuvok definitely was too straight laced with them for the beginning but that was the point and i i think uh, neelix definitely helped with that and i i did and i did like the fact that tuvok has the character growth by the end that he's and he's actually forged a bond with them yeah it's i mean it's pretty on the nose but if you can learn to bend the rules we can learn to follow them it is yeah. some strange logic there um <laughs> you know that's that's what you get in these i mean you could almost expect Tuvok to say, to comment on the logical fallacy on that. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. He's really learned his lessons because he didn't. <laughs> I do have a nitpick about the crewmen's uniforms. Okay. Why do they have rank insignia? If they're crewmen, a single black pip mm-hmm. or black line, as the provisional rank pins would show, should indicate an NCO, a la O'Brien in the early seasons of DS9. What did they have on their pips? I can't remember. They had one black stripe on their uh, provisional rank, which is the which would be the equivalent of a black pip. One black stripe. Is it? It wasn't like. Don't they have a McKee symbol? I guess they don't. I okay, thought they so had like the a McKee, the McKee rank is the provisional Starfleet rank. So it's a. Right. It's in that weird pill. Yeah, it's in the the pill thing, and then it has stripes yeah. in in place of pips. So, for instance, in Chakotay, oh, it. it has so two you're... gold and one black, indicating he is a rank of lieutenant commander. Got it. So you're talking about the stripe within that? Yes. Which is similar to the to the non-com that I had on my uniform because it was they don't see him. You can't see him as much in Enterprise. So okay, now well, Enterprise follow. had its own little non-com yeah. thing, didn't it? Yeah, it was a little triangular kind of thing yeah it's hard to describe the shape but and it had the same thing where there's one two or three for right. the uh, for the chief like chief or ch- chief petty officer or non-com yeah, or i'm just thinking in the past when we've seen crewmen their colors have been bare yeah i don't hmm. again i don't i do not pick up on that stuff <laughs> that's funny. i love it i like it but i don't uh, an- overanalyze yeah, it. they don't they they don't get into why the Maquis have different rank insignia to begin with, ever. Yeah, we and we've um, already talked about how that is probably not the best decision. Right. But if they had ever gotten into the decision and, or the discussion of it, I have to imagine it would be something to the effect of, like, some, like, well, I mean, and really it would have to be Janeway. Or, well, I guess it could, I could, I guess it could be Chakotay who would have made the recommendation to say, like, no, no, we still need some sort of way of identifying who's Maquis. Okay. So they all get rank insignia. They all will get this special rank insignia. So. And we can't leave it blank because the replicator won't let us. Okay, I was. You, you knew where I was going with that then. <laughs> yes. So why aren't they just blank pills? Well, because the replicator right. won't let them do it otherwise. So, you know, replicator. Pump out fifteen non-com pill insignias. I, I like it. Also, 
Yeah. Good explanation. All right. Yeah. I do also wonder how they assigned rank to the Maquis. Like, how, what made them decide that, well, you're going to be a lieutenant, and you're going to be an ensign. And... Well, why wouldn't it be any different than how they must have had some level of uh, yeah, seniority on the ship when they uh, when they got when yeah. they joined? So I'm sure they just matched it up. Uh, yeah, I guess they just started with Chakotay as the lieutenant commander and extrapolated downward from there. Yeah, yeah, that, that would probably make sense. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, yeah, nice. I, I only noticed things like when Jordy's wearing the wrong uniform at the end of yesterday's Enterprise. I did I not I, notice I that until. <laughs> No, uh, until a couple months ago, uh, when everyone was doing that 30-day Star Trek challenge on Twitter, and someone commented on that, I'm like, I had never seen that before. Really? That's funny. That one stood out to me. It's like, wait, um, you want to film that again? So, speaking of Geordi. Yes. <laughs> something that, that struck me, when Tuvok first interacts with Garen, and Garen's like, head is down, and he's like, can you hear me, crewman? I was wondering, has there... Because I've only really watched through most of Star Trek once. So I, I'm, I'm not nearly as encyclopedic as, as you two fellas. Uh, has there ever been a blind or deaf character who was prominent for at least an episode? I'm not, I, I know there hasn't been one of the main cast. But what about like someone who was the focus of an episode? Not in Starfleet. Yeah, not in Starfleet. Uh, okay. There have been both blind and deaf aliens. Yeah, characters. Okay. Or or characters, yeah. Yeah, because the question was about Starfleet. Yeah. Yeah, because what comes to mind immediately uh, is from Toss, uh, Diana Maldar's character, who was blind. And okay. f- from TNG, um, the loud as a whisper, yeah. But neither of them were in Starfleet. So as far as I know, the only blind character in Starfleet we ever see is Geordi, who can still see after a fashion. Yeah, almost better, you know, certainly in the position that he's in, better than yeah. his counterparts. Um, or what about uh, someone in Starfleet in a wheelchair or per- or permanently on crutches? Or, or something? That we do see on DS9. Yeah, we have okay. seen that. And Nog with... Oh, yeah. A cane or... I don't think it was crutches, but some kind yeah, of I think support. he just had a cane. But on DS9, there's a, a an episode, Melora, about a, a member of Starfleet who is from a species with a very low gravity on their world, so she has to either be in a wheelchair or use a mechanical exoskeleton to get around. Okay. Because uh, at, at, at every stage of the way, every Star Trek show has been inclusive and they become like increasingly so with time as society becomes increasingly so. And I was, you know, thinking about Tuok's interaction with Garen and just wondering if we had ever seen anyone who was blind or deaf or, you know, had like a physical disability or something like that or anything like that, just because it feels like that's the, uh, you know, the, the next frontier. What? Yeah. There's a little bit of it in discovery. They've, uh, because in Discovery, they had the guy in the wheelchair during the party scene. Oh, yeah, that's right. They did. Yeah, and, he, and he's an actor. He's actually an actor in a wheelchair. So. Okay. And, it, yeah. and for the whole reason of that, just being inclusive and showing. You know, obviously, it's it's kind of a challenge because it's uh, the storytelling side of Star Trek is, oh, it's the future. So we're not going to have anybody with, you know, uh, these kind of any kind of disability, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, 
wheelchair or being blind or anything like that. But you think you're being smart, but then you think about it for now in today's light, you look at it and say, oh, but what you're doing is you're showing, telling these people they don't, they're not going to be there in the future and they don't matter and they don't have representation. And it's actually a bit of a misstep over the 50 years of Trek that that advanced viewpoint actually was a little bit of a, not the way we really should have been looking at it. And now I think Discovery is trying to be a little bit more inclusive on that. What I was thinking with Garen with the uh, eye contact thing was uh, it was ma- it was making me think of people on the autism spectrum. Right. Oh, that hadn't occurred to me. Yeah, until me too. You, until you actually said eye contact. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's definitely a big thing. Uh, now, for me, uh, I I am actually on the high functioning end of the autism spectrum myself. I don't have an issue with eye contact, but I often have to remind myself to do it. And uh, there are for some people they it's it's really hard and they honestly they can't do it and that's interesting like it's just it provides a whole level of anxiety that some people cannot handle i don't know if they were going for that but you certainly can i doubt they were in you, the but you can 90s. certainly see it you can see yeah. it in them now though for sure yeah are we gonna see much more of garen no we don't see any i don't think we ever see him again we the only one we see again is chell but yes. not for okay. chell not doesn't like, hear if six years it's funny though because that's one of the dark turns that i mean when they talk about his that kid's backstory i can't remember exactly what it was but like his parents were killed or something right and yeah i mean it basically explains that he's a kid and been to this major trauma and you're being totally unfair i thought dolby made a great point with that yeah that was a that was great i i really enjoyed that scene because the scene where he and Tuvok were playing pool because yes. it gave up, it made us see that like Dolby isn't a one-dimensional character. He isn't just a dick. He really does have like an entire story. Yep. I mean, and that was, I mean, it's kind of a, I don't want to say comical, but it's a little bit of a big dark turn that all of a sudden Dolby's background, he's talking about his wife or girlfriend being raped and murdered right in front of him and that's why he's fighting the Cardassians. I mean that was like, whoa, okay. That's freaking hardcore. But yeah. the payoff of him saying But understand this, Lieutenant. I don't want to get to know you. And I don't want to be your friend. Yeah. Was was pretty impactful because of that. Yes. You know, I really enjoyed that scene. I, I think frankly too like was completely okay with him not being his friend as well (laughs) fair point (laughs) but something else that was sticking out to me in tuvok's lessons with them and and it really came out when he was talking to neelix about how like i've trained so many perfectly and like never had a failure rate with this and he's like okay well everyone you've trained up until now has wanted to be there and had other options available to them other than the academy so if they got to to like either they would have been weeded out before they got to tuvok or maybe tuvok was the weeder and they got to tuvok and it's like yeah you know what no i'm gonna go back into my post-scarcity society and just be a painter forever stars are cool but i don't need this i don't need i don't need anything yeah that's a very good point whereas they're there on voyager they have nowhere else to go, and I suppose eventually they'll get with the program, 
or not. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure what the or not is. Uh, the uh, I can't remember the 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 woman's name. Henley. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, like Henley at one point saying, well, they can't put us in the brig for 70 years. Like, well, frankly, you may not be alive in 70 years, and they really should be, like, talking more about the generational ship aspect of Voyager. But, like, yeah, no, you can't put her in, you can't put them in the brig for 70 years. You can't put them off the ship. Janeway would never put anybody off the ship unless they try to run a mutiny. The producers always knew they would only take seven. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, Henley's not Seska. She's not going to get put off the ship. So. Right. Well, it's actually interesting you bring that up because in this, one of the things I love about this episode or liked about it is that uh, when they're talking about the gel packs, they're still in that kind of first and second season mode where they're talking about limited resources and dealing yeah. with that issue and they're being conservative with their materials. And. You know, obviously they kind of got rid of that by the third and fourth season, which is a bummer, but it's the nature of television of that era. But I really like that. I think the first and second season of Voyager are super underrated because of that aspect. They had some good arcs and good, uh, just they, they, they focused on that in a way that made it feel a little more real. In that same vein, this is the last episode about, uh, in which we see conflicts between the Maquis and the Starfleet crew. Unless you count worst-case scenario, which you can't because that's a holodeck simulation. What about uh, repression? I guess... Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, a I little guess. bit, but not really. I mean, there was a little bit there. Not much. Oh, no, and you know, another one would be uh, Nothing nothing Human? No, uh, the one with the Cardassian Doctor. Again, it's not really that wasn't really Starfleet. Maquis Starfleet conflict, right? But it's though. but it's Maquis saying, "Hey, Starfleet, your principles aren't working for me. Get this Cardassian doctor out of here." But your but your point is well taken. This is the last time you really have it as part of the inner workings of the ship, and that's a bummer because it was I think it was pretty strong. I do kind of wonder what Voyager would be like if it had been made today, because it would have had it would have been much more serial. Oh, would be very different, yeah. I mean, I was wondering what Voyager the ship would look like if they had continued and actually stuck with the the scarcity thing throughout all seven seasons. Yes. Uh, how like how different would the ship look if it had to well, assimilate effectively other technology along the way in order just to keep making their way home. Yeah. Brandon Braga talks about that where they've talked about when the board come and kind of resetting the ship and doing things, but none of it was practical because of the visual effects that had been shot previously. So, you know, from a production standpoint, it was like, you want us to get rid of every single effect and thing we can use for the last three years. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I suppose it would have required them to like keep like reshooting the theme for. <laughs> yeah, you can. I mean, you could do it today, but you just can't. You couldn't do it back yeah, then. Yeah, it's with. easy today because you're not using models to begin with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would just well, not physical models. Yeah, you would just like update the back end file that represents the Voyager model. Correct. Port it into whatever someone uses for that stuff. I don't do any. Uh, like, like 3D motion modeling or or, or film work. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know nothing about any of that. Yeah, so we should probably talk about the the scene where Tuvok 
uh, actually does go back to save to save Garen, even though the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That I always was... thought that I always thought it was logical based on that because what he basically the needs of the he was taking care of the needs of the many. Yeah, he got I, he got I, the rest I, of them out of there, and that now it's just one on one. So it's worth it for me to try to go back and get them. That's what I thought too. He he was saving three people and possibly and then possibly saving another one without endangering those three people. Yeah, that's how I looked at that. I mean, there, well, there's also the added benefit of by saving the fourth Maki crew pers- uh, crewman, I am enhancing my respect and reputation amongst the others even if i fail yeah there is that too very good yeah i think that makes sense the, but i think that for sure his driver was i'm only risking one person so one thing that came that came to mind for me as well is it's interesting that at no point during this do any of them comment on the fact that tuvok was a fake Maquis for a couple months. Oh, that's a great point. Like they oh, would have, because yeah. they would have known him on the ship. Mm-hmm. And they would probably have some hard feelings about that. I have never thought of that, and it's a really, really good nitpick that I cannot counter. Well done, Pat. Well done. <laughs> that well, is, now that's a, it's actually a major fallacy because for sure they would have been. And even Janeway would have been like, well, we can't have Tuvok do it because these three people freaking hate him. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's like they don't want to do It's like I, I totally understand them not having Chakotay do it because they already respect him. But, yeah, they should have had, like, Kim do it or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, those crewmen are basically the only people that Ensign Kim could even order around anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> it's true. Does Ensign Kim, because he's on the bridge crew, outrank the other ensigns on the ship, regardless of uh, like time and service? Do you think? When speaking as head of the operations department, he would. And we can talk about how it's weird that an ensign heads a department as well. But I think we've already covered that. I'll cover it until the day I die. <laughs> There's so much of that, though. It's like when they're on the planet on basics, and it's we're gonna. Break up into four groups. Neelix, you're in charge of one. Really? (laughs) Yes. Neelix is in charge of one of the four groups? I'm thinking I probably wouldn't make that call. And then poor Hogan dies because of it. But if Hogan hadn't died, then the Voth wouldn't have been able to find his remains. And we wouldn't have had, you know, our uh, evolution-denying episode. Fair enough. <laughs> Which is a great one. Yeah, well, it would have been greater if it had ended differently, but that's that's a topic we'll cover later. You, you mean a happy yeah, we'll ending? We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, so the one, one scene we haven't talked about, I was just remembering, is actually probably my favorite scene of the whole episode. The most memorable for me is when Chakotay confronts Dalby in the yes S hall. That is oh. such a great scene. Which you want to do it the Maki way? Great. We'll come back and we'll do it this way every day. It's <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, how, how, we a... almost went the whole episode without talking about that. Wow. Yeah, it's really the best scene of the whole episode for sure. I was I was so for sure that you were going to revisit the cheese. 
it's it's taken all of my self control to not yeah. load it out. <laughs> no, I I uh, that was a really good scene too. It definitely got the point across. Um, the thing that I that stuck out to me though was you know, Chakotay decks the guy, and then he's like breathing heavy the rest of the time. He's like, "How much did you put behind that punch, man? Jeez." He needs hey, to like, maybe he needs to take some pointers with that guy that was rude with the doctor and you know work out more. Yeah, putting his whole heart and soul <laughs> into it. Yeah, I, I, I like that scene too because in the beginning with the the four of them are just sitting it sitting around and just mm-hmm. bitching about work, right? I mean, it's just yeah. like, yeah, we're not going to do that. People are stupid. And I like how Chakotay comes over and steals Chell's chair too. All right. <laughs> yeah, and, again, he, and I think. He gives it the reverse Riker, I think. When yes, he, he does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's pretty great. I love watching Riker sit down. <laughs> yeah, Chakotay does love to sit in chairs backwards. It, it's a Starfleet first officer thing. They have to have their own signature seating style. Okay. I love that. So one more little trivia. Yeah. Are either one of you guys Mr. Robot fans? I haven't. I, I've, I've seen almost none of it. I actually have not seen it. Okay. There's a character in Mr. Robot who I was like watching the first scene. I was like, who is this guy? I recognize this guy. And he's kind of pivotal role, but it's a small role. Turns out it was Dolby. I finally just <laughs> looked it up on wow. IMDb. I'm like, oh, it's Dolby. That guy got punched in the face by Chicote. <laughs> I love it. That's I haven't great. seen like, that actor in much, but uh, that was cool that he had a good part in that. In that. That's a great show, by the way. Everybody should watch it. First season. Yeah, I've heard eight. it's good. So I gotta wonder, when the doctor tells them that the ship's bioneurogel packs can't fight an infection the way a human body would, which is by giving itself a fever, Janeway and Bellana lay on the how are we gonna superheat the ship idea really stinking fast, and they're both just like really confident that it will accomplish what they want it to do, and that they can do it, and the power levels required. Yep, because they're great Starfleet officers with professional background history. Yep, go ahead. And every episode needs to have a Janeway and Torres geek out moment. <laughs> I love their just, technical babble. <laughs> it just seemed like a little bit faster than it, than like it should be. Like I feel like there there needed to be like an extra just a little bit of well maybe if we. Hmm. That's fair, and I feel like. Uh, I, I think she's. I think uh, Torres said that they, it should. I don't believe she ever said it absolutely would. I suppose we could infuse the gel pack circuits with a high energy plasma burst from a symmetric warp field. I think you're right, and it is that is sort of the thing because I feel like Jordy probably would have said maybe. Yeah. But Torres is a more confident person than Jordy LaForge. Well, yeah, and then of course we have Scotty who'd be like, "There's no chance in hell it's going to work, Captain." But we'll do it anyway. Well, yes. I was going to say, you know, if they said, if they, <laughs> if they had said maybe, then the nitpick would be, can you believe they even tried that when they weren't sure? What are they doing? Uh, it's 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 Bellana and Janeway. They'll try anything. This is true. <laughs> that like, I, I'm with Thad. Uh, like you know, Bellana and Janeway geeking out. It's I mean, it, it, it's always a treat, and this is something that, um. I think I had mentioned on a past episode, but I was discussing with the Star Trek meetup group was this idea that it's such a 
small ship because it, it I mean, it's a science vessel. And that's why Janeway's always geeking out is because she's the captain of a science vessel. I mean, all of Starfleet's about exploration, but this theirs is a science vessel. And so she needs to know all of the science and all of the ship systems inside and out because it, it, it is a small ship. And she's and, also a huge nerd. So, <laughs> and she was a science officer before she became a captain. So, yeah, yeah, under uh, under then Captain Paris. Yep. So you know, Jane waking out with Milana and trying weird stuff to solve their problems. I mean, I'm 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 all in on that every single time. I might nitpick like stuff like you're gonna reverse the temporal flux generator. Why do you even have one on board? I love that. <laughs> I love some good techno battle. It just like they they laid the plan the plan on awfully fast. The other key point is that uh, this is the B plot. <laughs> yeah, they don't, have, they don't have enough time for uh, anything more than what they did. Apparently, when the episode was in development, um, originally the gel packs were going to be the A plot and the Maquis were going to be the B plot, but they quickly realized oh. that the Maquis were more interesting. Oh, that's interesting. That makes sense. Yeah. They actually mesh together really well. It's actually yeah. pretty well done. It feels really seamless. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, even the even the dumb holographic, uh, the, the gothic hollow novel is, gets turned off because Dolby's messing with the, yeah, with the gel pack. Yeah. Done without that, <laughs> yeah. It's all connected, man. What was the Latin again? Uh... Let's not be too hasty or something like that. Yeah. So, Look before you leave, Dolby. Let us not rush into anything. Well, I'm uh, I'm all that stuff to talk about. How about you two? Yeah, I think I covered pretty much everything I wanted to. What's uh, well, what's your guys' final take on? I mean, I I said that I like the episode. I mean, it's in my bottom half. It's 101, but I think it's generally <laughs> a pretty solid, entertaining episode. No, I enjoyed it a lot. the The first season of Voyager is pretty strong. Especially by Star Trek standards. Yeah, I, well, just I, I, like as first seasons of shows go, especially maybe sci-fi shows, because I feel like with sci-fi shows, especially from this era and like the early two thousands, before they all decide they need to be lost, that they are all spending their time in the first season trying to figure out how do we tell these human stories. Um, what sort of world are we building? Um, in Voyager's case, they have the benefit of coming off of, was it 10 years in a row of seven Star Trek? Okay. Only seven. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Cause DS nine and, uh, TNG overlapped a bit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sort of similar to Atlantis and SG one. Yes. Except Atlantis did have yeah no yeah exactly like Atlantis and SG one yeah so so this would always be like if Universe picked up at like season three or something of Atlantis right rather than what, yeah then the later? metaphor would be perfect because then Atlantis would always overlap with another show and yeah yeah so uh, and if Universe ran longer <laughs> yes but yeah as first seasons of sci fi from this era goes it's. It's really solid so far. There, I mean, 
as we discussed earlier, because of our recording schedule, our viewing schedule is a little off. But so we so we actually haven't watched all of the episodes yet, but we will have by the time you listen to this. <laughs> uh, but no, I really enjoyed the episode. I thought it was well done. I enjoyed the human the human stories of it. Um, the writing's a little wooden in places, but we hadn't hit like the golden age of television yet where the you know like writing took this like quantum leap forward across all genres but like i liked dolby as a character it's a shame that he apparently is not going to come back to yes. kind of challenge tuvok just from time to time just like every you know separate episode just sort of square off with tuvok like just a little bit like just like like for 10 seconds in the hallway or something and they had to replace a character they could Get rid of Carrie, because no one cares about Carrie. <laughs> oh, man. R.I.P. Carrie. Come on. <laughs> Wait, does Carrie die? Uh, yes. You don't even know. You don't even know. That's how little you care. It was pretty good. Oh, sorry. Spoiler alert for anyone following along. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. Uh, I would echo I would echo Stuart's thoughts on this. Uh that yes, this was a pretty solid episode. It has some good character moments. Uh, you talked about Voyager season one. I would actually say yes, that Voyager probably has the third best uh, live action Star Trek first season after Deep Space Nine and the or, or, sorry, not Deep Space Nine after Discovery in the original series. Do you, do you want to add some more? qualifiers onto that <laughs> well no it's actually third best regardless because it's also better than the first season of the animated series so yeah third best okay. star trek uh it's the third best star trek season one after discovery okay. and the original series. i i cannot in good conscience yet include discovery since the season's not over but ask I mean, but if you ask, ask me yeah. in three weeks and the answer will be yes <laughs> I think it's unlikely the last three episodes will be just awful. Hey, I mean, <laughs> you're probably right, but <laughs> it could happen, I suppose. But as it as we stand right now, with the first what are we twelve episodes into Discovery at this point? There are twelve in, three to go. Yeah, uh, the first twelve episodes, I would I would call it the best season one of Star Trek. It's either TOS, TOS, or Discovery. And then I agree with you that Voyager would be third. I think I agree with you. Love it, though. All right, so season season one is in the books for you guys. Well, it will be once this episode airs. <laughs> and uh, next week, it'll be our wrap-up episode. We'll give our give our full rundown, as is our want, on, uh, on our shows. To We'll discuss our top three and our bottom three for the season. And... Uh, Overall thoughts? Maybe we'll try taking a terrible quiz again, huh, Thad? You know, there's probably better quizzes for Star Trek than there are for Stargate, just because the Star Trek Wider fandom audience. is enormous. Sure, yeah. Yeah, but I feel like we should take a bad one. <laughs> <laughs> we, should, we should talk all about taking the quiz, and then take it, and then not ever like not link it, because it was bad. <laughs> But it's been a lot of fun talking about this uh, with you, Jim. I'm glad you agreed to come on the show. No, I love it. I will do anything to talk Trek for an hour. So anyway, if you like listening to us on Delta Flyer, you may also want to check out our other podcast, Stargate Weekly, where we do basically the same thing for Stargate, uh, currently on Stargate SG-1. 
that's available at StargateWeekly.com. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about Delta Flyer, uh, our website for that is DeltaFlyerPod.com. You can find us on Twitter at Delta Flyer Pod. Uh, we are on Facebook as Delta Flyer Podcast, but uh, we're going to be much more active on Twitter. And where can they find how active you are on Twitter, then? Yes, and I personally am even more active on Twitter under my personal account, which is at Tyrannicus. I'm at Gamicus on Twitter, where I'm not nearly as active as Thad, but I'm getting there. I'm pretty active on Twitter, at TrekRanks and at Enterprise Extra. No Facebook for me. That's fair. And that's our show. Yeah. And did you want to say anything about Trek Ranks? Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, check out our podcast. Check out my, my website, trekranks.com. You can find our podcast there, and you can find uh, my personal ranks that uh, that I've listed as kind of a fun fan resource. And, uh, and there's a lot of info about when I was on Star Trek and sat on the bridge and fired the phasers in an episode of Enterprise. Literally the greatest day ever. I mean, uh, yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> right. Obviously. It doesn't doesn't get any better. And I'm grateful for it every day. I mean, yeah. Do you have any... I, I mean, you probably do, but I am exceedingly jealous that you had that opportunity. <laughs> yeah, when I try to explain it to people, like, to put it in the context of something in their life that would match it, they can never, like... Every time they say something, I'm like, no, you don't get it. Like, I asked a guy, he said, oh, I'm a big baseball fan. Maybe if I sat on the bench at a Red Sox game, I'm like, no, it would be you getting an at-bat in a Red Sox game. That's equivalent. You don't understand. I was on the bridge. I fired the phasers. Put the ship on red alert. He's like, oh, my God. Okay, now I get it. What you're saying, like, this is, like, like, I I can go look this episode up and watch you fire the phasers is what you're saying, right? Uh, correct, yep. I could even send you a GIF of it. Nice. <laughs> uh, put it in the show notes. <laughs> like, for for me, it would be if I was, like, on the bridge of the Daedalus in Atlantis saying that the shields were still holding because the Wraith can't touch us. 